Yeah, welcome uh, to TNW. I'm super excited to be with you guys tonight and be able to speak. Uh, welcome to our Methodist community. Thank you so much for coming out. Super excited to have you guys here. Uh, Reverend Mark, thank you for coming. Uh, super excited. Also visitors, uh, first time guests, regular people, wonderful. So yes, Holy Week, man. Um, growing up, Easter, Holy Week, it was kind of my favorite time of the year. And so uh, you might be like, wow, you're super religious, super um, great person if Holy Week is your favorite time. But it really wasn't because my birthday is right around the same time. And so my birthday is April 12th, and some years Easter would get really close to my birthday. I, uh, I can remember that there was this one year that Easter uh, fell on my birthday, or my birthday fell on Easter, whichever way you say that. Um, but... April 12th, my birthday, and Easter Sunday, the same day. And I remember waking up, I'm like 10 or 11, somewhere around there, and I'm just like, yes, I'm so excited, it's my birthday. And I go to the kitchen to get my birthday breakfast, which for me is cinnamon rolls. You could probably tell I'm eating way too much of them. Uh, but uh, it's also because I'm about to be a dad and I'm getting the dad bod going, so uh, yeah, all right. But no, uh, go in the kitchen to get cinnamon rolls. I'm like, where are the cinnamon rolls, mom? And she's, what do you mean? We have Easter breakfast. I'm just like, ah, oh, Easter, come on. Like, uh, so that was kind of strike one for the day. Strike two is that I had already been planning a birthday party with my friends. I was like, oh, I really want to have a birthday party this year. Growing up, I didn't really get to have a whole lot of birthday parties. Everyone say, aw. Thank you, thank you. I'm still working through it a little bit, uh, processing. But uh, wasn't able to have it this weekend because my mom was like, oh, it's Easter. Everyone's going to be out of town. Everyone's going to be busy with Easter stuff. And I'm just like, oh, come on, Easter. Third strike was I go to church, and I'm expecting all my friends to be there and say, hey, happy birthday, Josh. But no, they come up, hey, happy Easter, Josh. I don't even think it was... Uh, until about 3 p.m. that day that my mom told me happy birthday. And so um, growing up, I was more excited, and um, thankfully sanctification is a process, uh, because growing up I was just like, man, Jesus gets all the credit this time of the year. And uh, hey, there's a reason why I didn't become a Christian until my senior year of high school, and then it changed, and Holy Week has a whole different meaning to me, and I just kind of ignore my birthdays now, um, but so yeah, Holy Week, man, it's, uh, it's great, and I really enjoy it, really great time to uh, just really dive into scripture, dive into uh, just my personal faith journey, what it means for me, as well as what it means uh, for Christ, um, to die on the cross, raised from the dead, what those repercussions look like, it's just so powerful, but um, Today is Holy Thursday, or Monday, Maundy Thursday, not Monday Thursday, that would be kind of confusing, but uh, Maundy Thursday, um, if you're familiar with that term. But what I want to speak on today, I, uh, I call it Jesus' famous last words. Uh, the technical term for it is his final discourse, and normally we start off these sermons, or have been this semester, with reading a passage of scripture. Now, Jesus' final discourse is found in John, but it's chapters 13 through 17. So I'm not going to stand up here 
and read all four chapters just yet. So, famous last words. Uh, when I think of famous last words, I think of the funny memes online of people doing stupid things, and it's like famous last words. I've got a few favorite ones. Um, first off, there was this general in the Union Army in the Civil War whose famous last words were, I'm ashamed of you for dodging like that. Why, those snipers couldn't hit an elephant at this... Yeah. Bad last words. All right, also, um, another example. What does this button do? Anyone? Okay, uh, don't worry, I've seen this done on YouTube. <laughs> I think I've actually said that a few times. Uh, what about, hey mom, watch this. I have a scar on my chin from doing that with my dad, and a long story. Luckily, it wasn't last words, but it was close. So, <laughs> uh, what about, are you sure the power is off? Or, no, nah, don't worry, these are blanks. <laughs> okay, well, all of that being said, famous last words. Man, uh, there, it's really cool to see what people say as their last words here on earth. As they're going through the, um, the last few moments before death, the words that we say at that point are sometimes the most important and most defining words of our life. And as we see, these words can be comforting to those who know us. Sometimes it's just a, hey, I love you. And then uh, sometimes it's just uh, like, whoa, okay, this is cool. Or something in a whole different realm. Some uh, famous quotes are just crazy. Go home, Google famous last words. There's like tons of articles about people who say crazy things right before death. Um, but these words are meant to be taken seriously. And so we see this final discourse, these uh, four chapters here in John. Um, they're actually mentioned in John, but they're not mentioned in Matthew, Mark, or Luke. Uh, this is being, this conversation is being had with the disciples right at the time of the Last Supper. And uh, I think there's great importance to the last words and actions of Jesus before his death. And so uh, I say last words, but I say this also knowing and um, living out a Sunday mentality, the um, emphasis of Easter is that Jesus is not just dead, but he is rose again from the dead. And so his last words have not been spoken, uh, but these are his last words before his death on the cross. And I think he's using this time to drive home a point to the disciples. And so the question I would pose to you tonight is, what does Jesus' final night with the disciples tell us about his mission here on earth? First, I would say that as he's speaking to the disciples, he came to serve in the model service. John chapter 13, I'm going to read a chunk of scripture here. Uh, so if you have your Bible, turn to it. It also should be up on the screen. Uh, but it says, it was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? 
Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord Simon, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean, and you are clean. They're not every one of you, for he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you, he asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. I think a lot of times we look at the, uh, this instance of foot washing. We look at foot washing services, and sometimes we don't understand the significance of that. You're just like, oh, wow, why, why are we washing people's feet? That's kind of gross. Like, I'm standing here in boots and wool socks, and when I take these things off, they're going to smell pretty bad. Uh, but foot washing has such a significance in this time period, in this, uh, in this era. Now, normally there's a servant who is readily available to wash the feet of people who are reclining at dinner, and that's just it. Um, in this time when uh, this, the disciples and Jesus are eating, they're not sitting down in a chair like we would think when we eat dinner. What they're doing is they're actually laying back, reclining, and their feet are kind of just out there. And so uh, they have been traveling, and their feet are covered with dust, with gunk, with anything really uh, they have walked through. And so their feet are filthy. How many of you want filthy feet at your dinner table? Okay, so what goes on, what we see in this story is that uh, there was a servant available, and the disciples themselves are too proud to engage in this, uh, this action of washing the feet of each other. It's funny because right before this, they have the conversation about which disciple is the greatest. It kind of shows their mentality um, when it comes to service and serving others. And Jesus uses this moment, as he always does, as a teachable moment of coming humbling himself and serving those who he loves. And so, by washing the disciples' feet, Jesus, he symbolizes two things here. He symbolizes the cleaning power of salvation. He symbolizes what he's coming to do. He's coming to clean us of our sin. And second, he models this self-sacrifice, this love and service as attitudes that must characterize us as Jesus' followers. He's not just doing this to make sure that feet are clean. He's doing this to model something that we should do as well. We should serve others. Jesus is the one person in the world who has the right to say, no, I will not wash your feet. Because Jesus is the reigning king. What king gets down on his hands and knees and washes someone's feet? Jesus. And so... After service, Blaine's already mentioned this, but we're going to be taking part um, in this together. We're going to be taking part in this in community, uh, and uh, I'm so excited about this. I, I'm sorry for whoever washes my feet. Probably going to get my brother-in-law, Devin, to do it. Um, <laughs> but 
man, I'm so excited about it because we get to symbolize this service to our peers or service to our, uh, the people that we live with day in and day out and show this love. And so second, um, I think in this discourse here, this talk with the disciples, Jesus comes to provide a way to the Father. And we see this as he's talking in John 14. Again, kind of a large chunk of scripture, but it's good stuff. Uh, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? If I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Let's just pause there real quick. Jesus is not afraid of our questions. He's not afraid of us um, coming to him and asking the questions that may seem obvious, but the questions that are in our heart. He's not scared of that. And so we can come to him with our questions. Thomas has been walking with Jesus for three and a half years, and he says, where are you going and how can we know the way? And Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. This is a pretty radical statement in this time. What Jesus is saying here is, uh, you have seen the Father through me because I am God. I am a member of the Trinity that I am fully man and fully God at the same time, this weird divine mystery. But he's saying that you have seen me and therefore I am the way to the Father. Philip says, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. I think this is a funny statement as well because Jesus has just said, hey, you've seen me. You've seen the Father through me. And then he's answering again, don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. So Thomas's question, how can we know the way? How can we know the way to the Father? Jesus says, I am the way to the Father. Philip, show us the Father. And Jesus says, whoever's seen me has seen the Father. I am the way, but I am also the God. I am also this person who you are seeking. So I think here with this time and the disciples, Jesus doesn't shy away from our questions. He answers those, but he shows us the way to the Father as well. Third thing I believe we see here in this discourse is that he came to empower those who believe in him. John 16, I have told you this so that when their time comes, you will remember that I warned you about them. I did not tell you this from the beginning because I was with you, but now I am going to him who sent me, which is the Father. None of you ask me, where are you going? Rather, you are filled with grief because I have said these things. 
But very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin, because people do not believe in me. About righteousness, because I am going to the Father, where you can see me no longer. And about judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. I have much more to say to you, much more than you can now bear. But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. This is why I said that the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. Just imagine this. You spent the last three and a half years of your life with this man who is claiming to be the Messiah, claiming to be God, and uh, you've left everything you've known, and now this man's saying, I'm going away. I'm going to die. What would you do? These disciples are kind of saying, wait, what do you mean you're leaving? Like, aren't you supposed to stay and make your reign apparent here on earth? You're not supposed to leave. But Jesus is uh, coming back to the disciples and he's saying, I have to leave because when I leave, I will send the spirit, this advocate uh, to you to help you to empower you, to help you serve and uh, make my name known. This word advocate in the NIV version, in the original Greek, it is parakletos, uh, which is uh, the translation for this is one who consoles or comforts, one who encourages or uplifts, one who intercedes on our behalf as an advocate in court. Jesus doesn't leave us alone to face our worldly struggles. He sends this helper, this paraclete, the Holy Spirit. Um, Jesus leaves so that the Holy Spirit can come and empower us to face what we face in and out in the world, day in and day out. So lastly, the fourth thing I believe we see in this discourse, um, as these disciples, as the disciples and Jesus are having this meal, um, this is known as the Last Supper. And we celebrate this in the form of communion. And uh, the significance of communion is that uh, this is symbolizing a new covenant being established. So Jesus' fourth point is he came to establish a new covenant with us. Now, a little bit of background, if you're not familiar. The Passover meal is, uh, you can read Exodus 12, I believe, and um, the Passover meal commemorates the liberation of the Israelites from slavery in Egypt. As they celebrate this Passover Seder, it is a remembrance of God delivering his people out of bondage, out of slavery. Um, people this time, they've been operating out of this Mosaic covenant. God's covenant with Moses, um, which required obedience of the law to the letter of God's law, uh, physical atonement was required for sin. There were sacrifices that were required to um, offer forgiveness for sin. Uh, there was a high priest who served in the temple who uh, was basically God's ambassador. Uh, he, uh, you had to go to the high priest, and the high priest was the only one who could come into contact with God. Um, and it was, there's a whole lot of 
uh, implications and different things and requirements for this high priest. There's a whole lot of laws. Uh, right now I'm reading through Leviticus, and it is amazing just how much God desires holiness and how much God desires purity. This is the old covenant. There was separation of God from mankind because mankind is sinful and God is holy and sin cannot be in the presence of God. Now, what Jesus is doing here at the Last Supper is he's establishing a new covenant. Matthew 26, while they were eating, Jesus took bread. and When he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat. This is my body. This bread that Jesus takes and the Passover Seder, this is unleavened bread. Uh, in the Old Testament, leaven is a symbol for sin. It's this uh, substance that kind of, if even a small bit gets in the bread, it kind of takes part. It's not just like one piece where if you have a loaf of bread and there's mold on it, you can cut it out and it's okay. Um, yeah, missionary lifestyle. But um, this leaven, you have to kind of make a whole new batch if you get any leaven in the bread. And so uh, leaven is a symbol for sin. And this unleavened bread is being broken. And Jesus is saying that this is my body, a perfect, sinless body. He's sinless, and his body is going to be broken on the cross. Verse 27, then he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is, the, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. In the Passover Seder, there's four total uh, cups of wine that are um, partaken of throughout the meal. This third cup is the cup that Jesus is uh, Jesus is lifting up, and this cup is referred to as the cup of redemption. I don't think it's a coincidence that Jesus is raising the cup of redemption, and he's saying, this is my blood, the blood of the covenant poured out for the forgiveness of sins. What Jesus is saying here with the breaking of the unleavened bread and the pouring or in the drinking of the blood that has been poured out He's saying that my death coming up on the cross fulfills the requirements of the old covenant, and I'm establishing this new covenant with you. As the band comes up, uh, as we kind of wrap up this service, I just want us to think about this. I want to think about these four things because Jesus took the time to have this conversation, to have this discourse, and to say, these are things that you need to know as my people, things that are what the gospel is. And so this is the gospel in a nutshell. Jesus is the son of God. He's the rightful king, and he's the awaited Messiah. He established his kingdom on earth by living a sinless life and paying the price for our sin and death. Through his death and resurrection, we can walk in power through the Spirit, inviting others to join in this kingdom through service and love. The gospel in itself, it's a simple gospel. So many times I think in church and tradition, we try to complicate the gospel. 
we try to think so many times about the theological implications of man sanctification or what it means that Mary was a 15 year old virgin like things like this we try to overcomplicate it but the gospel in essence is simple this is the gospel and Natalie and the band they're going to introduce a new song tonight and it's one of my favorites right now it's called simple gospel and it just talks about this there's a verse in it that says I will rejoice in the simple gospel I think this Easter that's something that I'm really meditating on and thinking through is how many times have I overcomplicated what God says about um, about the gospel about um, who Jesus is and how many times have I truly come to him and said hey you're you're what I need I trust you I believe in you and um, you've done all the work how many times do we try to work out our own salvation try to um, add different stipulations to it when really we can come to Jesus because he's done all the work already I think this Easter um, we can find a way to rejoice in this simple gospel and so as the band plays we're gonna have um, some staff student leaders on the side I just really want to give you this time to meditate on that think about what the gospel means for you and your life uh, maybe this is the first time you've ever heard this message preached to this man who loved you and said, hey, I'm going to live this perfect sinless life and I'm going to die for you because I want this relationship with you. Maybe this is your first time ever hearing that. We would love to talk with you and pray with you. And maybe you believe that, but you're walking this life and you're walking day in and day out through struggles and you're like, Josh, you mentioned this advocate, this helper, and I feel like I'm walking through this life and there's nothing for me. Man, we would love to talk to you about that as well. We'd love to pray with you because the gospel doesn't stop on the cross. There is resurrection. There's life in that. And Jesus came to give us the spirit, the spirit that helps us and empowers us for day in, day out. Maybe you are empowered you feel like okay i've got it all together but i don't know what it means to serve what it means to love my neighbor what it means to love those who are different from me man maybe you just need to fall on your face before the lord and repent i want to give you this time here to just um really be honest with god think of the gospel think how simple it is and how beautiful it is this easter Heavenly Father, come before you and God, just thank you so much for your gospel. Thank you that you are good, you are holy, you are righteous. You're worthy to be praised. Man, above all, you love us. And, and that's enough. God, speak to us during this time. Help us to remember, help us to rejoice in the simple gospel. In Jesus' name, amen.